listeners of Beyond the Beats, our EDM champions out there, we have Scribe in the building for our seventh artist spotlight and third ever session. He has put together what can only be described as a magical cinematic mix that will put you flat on your back and transport your soul to another dimension. Here is Scribe in the mix exclusively on Beyond the Beat Sessions. Stays with me is the fear inside my girl. You're the fear inside my girl. You've been my reason to breathe. The gravity that moves me. I can't escape the weight of your ultraviolet.
the lights off. 20 bottles, but to set it off. Top model with a top off. The world is yours and you want it all. Blue on this girl, you want it all. All that body, girl, I want it all. Top model with a top off. The world is yours and you want it all. Yeah, I'm in China with the lights off. 20 bottles, but to set it off. Top model with a top off. The world is yours and you want it all. Blue on this girl, you want it all. All that body, girl, I want it all. Top model with a top off. The world is yours and you want it all. I know we talked about this. Alec. <laughs> I know. I already know where you're going to go. I already know before you're even going to say it. This was <laughs> up there. I mean, this was an intense, crazy mix where he was just showing off all of his musical talent and ability. I mean, seriously. I mean, I know he's here listening to us chat about this right now, but I'm being dead honest when I say that this was just incredibly impressive. What what do you think, man? I mean, this I hope I know that this could blow our listeners away, but I want to hear your thoughts. What do you think about it? Absolutely, brother. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how hyped up I am about this mix. You know what I mean? There's, it's just that it was 
put together so beautifully because you got those moments of just high energy. And then Scribe was like, you know what? This crowd has been going nuts for a little bit too long. Let me cool <laughs> them down a little bit. Let me take them on a journey, a little bit more melody in there. And then, you know what? You hear that tension start to build again. Boom. Dropping some more bangers right at your face. This Seriously, man, this is a mix I'm going to be listening to over and over again. You got some Scribe sound in there. You know what? Scribe threw in some Big Wild as well, which you know me, man. I'm a massive <laughs> fan of Big Wild. So all around, super, super stoked on this mix. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. But we should stop pretending and talking like he's not here. He's dialing in and can't believe it. All the way from Melbourne, Australia, we've got Scribe or Mitch, as he's known, without the mask in the real world. He's here with us, dialing in all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Mitch, my man, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we're pretty psyched up. Doing I'm pretty well, pretty dude. pumped up after listening to that mix. Um, I actually listened <laughs> to it right before we hopped on the phone with you. And I'm supposed to be winding down for bedtime, but now I don't feel like going to bed. <laughs> so uh, thank you yeah. for getting me all hyped up. It's better than a morning shot of coffee, man. I'm telling you, it's uh, <laughs> you've got some <laughs> real heat in there. So thank you so much for putting that together. I know all of our listeners really appreciate that. And we certainly do, man. But what have you what have you been up to recently? You know, what have... Uh, What's been going on with you today? I'm, I'm sure you probably didn't wake up too, too long ago. Well, it's um, midday here. Thanks for staying up, I guess. Um, <laughs> but um, pretty well got up, out of bed, walked to my computer, turned it on, came to this call, and here I am. Oh, um, perfect. Waking up to us. I love but, it. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. <laughs> a, lot love of, it. a lot of it's the same old every day, you know. Produce, work, go to bed. <laughs> Before we hopped onto this call, man, I mean, you you were telling us, your schedule, I mean, you're a busy dude, right? So so tell us about your grind. Like, what does a day in the life of Scribe look like? Like, what, what's that like for you? Basically, I'll wake up and I'll spend probably an hour getting myself awake, you know, looking at my messages. And then I'll literally walk from one side of my room to the other, <laughs> sit at my chair and just produce until work. And I work at nights and I usually get up at like 11-ish. So from 11 until like 9 p.m. ish wow i'm producing with like you know of course like food breaks and stuff in between and then i have work for about four or five hours yeah and then i get home and i uh i either go straight to bed or i produce depending on how i'm feeling wow so there's like no time in your day i mean i know we we've talked to a lot of different artists and they've said you know similar type of things and you know, how, how do you keep, the, is it the music that keeps yourself motivated to have this type of, of work schedule, you know, on, on top, you know, from a producing standpoint too, because you seem like quite a disciplined guy when it comes to producing. I mean, how do you keep yourself motivated and keep yourself going? I don't know. My weekends are pretty, like, I, I don't do much on my weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, so Monday to Friday, I'll, I'll work and produce and stuff like that. And then Friday, Saturday, or like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, until about Sunday night, I'm either at work or with my girlfriend mm-hmm. and so basically like if you were to have a full-time job you know you got monday to friday and then you got the weekend right and during the weekdays as well like you know i have mates that i see sometimes for like lunch and for you know our own production sessions and things a lot of my mates are like music people so it's a really good opportunity to like sit down and you know produce as well and a lot of the time we do like production challenges and stuff so it's always oh wow relevant to the stuff that like I do most of the time, which is really good. But these production challenges, what 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 does that yeah. what does that mean? Tell us a bit about that. That sounds really interesting. So I have a couple of mates, and we'll all come over to someone's house, and then we'll sit around and 
we'll do really simple things like we'll we'll get a, a picture up on this big TV screen and we'll be like, all right, we have three hours, make a track that is based off that picture. Or I, I recently got a new plugin and so it's like, okay, we have half an hour, make a sick wub with that uh, that plugin. Things like that. It's kind of, it's stuff with deadlines to kind of make you sit around and like really think about the task at hand. Helps you work with deadlines, helps you work with your workflow. Wow. Helps you see if there's any issues within like your own workflow that you need to like improve on. That's such an interesting way to spend the, the social time because it's still social, but it's also beneficial to your career. I mean, so I'm going to start imposing deadlines on whatever we do. <laughs> right, right, dude, definitely. Yeah, l- let me ask you, man. So of these production challenges that you guys have done, are we able, like, have you released mm-hmm. any songs from these production challenges or use any elements that you've developed during these production challenges in any of your tracks that you've released? Um, so in the mix, the final song started off as a challenge. Ooh. Very nice. Ooh, it started wow. off as a, I had three I had three hours to write a piece of music based on a picture, and it was just a bunch of like people from one of the world wars, like marching in mm-hmm. gas masks. And it's kind of taking the context from the picture and putting it into the context of your own music and your own sound. And you know, I didn't have the vocal at that point, but really interesting being able to fiddle with stuff like well, that. I'm I'm glad you brought up vocals because one thing I've really always admired about your music is the vocalists that you also work with. It seems like the vocalists that you work with or the vocals that you choose to use in your tracks just they fit in so well. So how like how do you how does that process work finding vocals for your tracks? I used to study music composition at uni. So in in studying that I met a lot of people. Hmm. We have like university like degrees and stuff. So I did um, music composition. Basically, I connected myself with a lot of the vocalists in the music performance courses. You know, there's, there's so many people that go through this. that There's just a lot of new faces and a lot of new people that I can get in contact with. And so it was literally just we have a an online like Facebook forum. And I just posted, hey, looking for people to work with, um, looking for vocalists. This is the kind of type of stuff I do. People just started responding and we're making tracks with people ever since that's that's awesome what a cool little community you cultivated there i mean and clearly these people have got some talent because the vocals are just spot on in your tracks i mean and of course that's partially due to how you integrate them too but you know do you have to like do you do like tryouts or something for the vocals like how does that kind of process work yeah um i'm, I'm pretty picky so <laughs> you probably um, should be yeah i'll make the post and of course you know because it's a, a school and that all the students are a part like and all the students are a part of this like forum a- everyone that does vocals is going to see that so you do get a lot of responses and so it's always you know hey what's your experience with recording and then they tell you what their experience is with recording which isn't super important because you know you can always teach them and discuss that stuff with them um but it's all in how they actually sing, all that stuff. Usually it's best if people have recordings of their voice, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Makes it a lot easier for me to determine whether I want to work with that person or not. And it's always those people that have taken the time to, you know, make recordings, kind of make it sound decent, you know, good microphone, decent backing track, stuff like that. It shows they've got that work ethic as well. That seems like a, a, big, a big thing for you is, this, is the work ethic, right? And I, I really admire that because I uh, think... yeah. That's something that makes a bit is a big differentiator for for artists, right? Is how much work they put in. So was this with music in mind? Because I know you said you went to uni to study music theory. Have you always had this type of approach, this work ethic when it comes to music? I mean, may, uh, 
<laughs> not, not really always. not always <laughs> so of course you know when i started learning there was just making stuff for the sake of making stuff um but when it became a, a thing where it was like i could make a you know make a business out of this make a you know make a uh, make a thing out of this as opposed to just like making music because it's fun because i'm from melbourne i started with melbourne bounce funnily enough Ooh. oh nice um, subscribe melbourne bounce nice <laughs> Yeah, and so a lot of that was, it still sounds like me in the sense of it's got like some cinematic elements and stuff. The, a lot of the Melbourne minimal, or well, Melbourne bounce like club scene is kind of, you know, fat kicks, heavy bass, good rhythm. And that just wasn't really working with me too much. I didn't like it that much. And then I moved to the melodic dubstep, future bass, dubstep type stuff, which I'd done before Melbourne bounce when I was learning. There's just something about sitting down and like writing this huge piece that you just love watching evolve and like there's something about it that just makes me feel really good one thing that i love that you just brought up here when you were you know trying your hand at melbourne bounce is that you mentioned that you wanted to make it cinematic right what do you categorize your music as and how did you find and identify your own signature sound a lot of it's just if i like it i'll make it Uh, of course the melbourne bounce bit was a bit more of a because i'm in melbourne and that's probably the easiest way to grow kind of approach um of course i didn't really like that Doing the stuff that I do now, it's more about the, um, for the most part, it's more about the story or the emotion behind it as opposed to the actual drop. When I write, I'll write it from start to finish. I always start with a specific kind of mood. I I don't exactly pick it, I'll just fiddle with chords and stuff. But I'll pick a mood and then I'll build from there. And a lot of my stuff is very cinematic and then goes into the electronic for me, I don't know, I just say cinematic electronic, like cinematic slash electronic, just because I like both and I try to mix both mm. together. I say that I mainly do trap, future bass, dubstep and stuff, but if anyone sends me a track and I like it and I can add my sound and I can add like the cinematic elements, I'll do it. I love this. Like, you know, you're you're taking it like I said, electronic music and you're taking, you know, cinema scores and putting them together and presenting your own vision. But what what would you con- kind of consider to be your main influences that got you to where you are today, right? Because, th- you know, when we talk about cinema scores, when we talk about electronic music, I feel like we are those are on two completely different opposite spectrums. So growing up, did you <laughs> did you like did you watch a lot of movies? And I mean, who are some of your, you know, preliminary electronic music artists? Like, I, I, I just want to dive deep and I want to hear more about like the, the people who have influenced you and got you to where you are today to help you find your sound. I'm, I'm 24 now. Um, but I was never into music until I was about 13. Um, I always just listened to whatever was on the radio, you know, I, until, um, I went to my year seven school camp and I, uh, got introduced to hard style. You know, I, I'd never heard anything like it. So of course, just, I, you know, two years later, I have my iPod classic about you know, <laughs> 2000, 3000 songs. Right. Um, and the one thing that I really liked about hard style was particularly that they had it's kind of in the name, but they have that really like hard bit and they have that really melodic bit and they merge them together. Mm. And I always thought to myself, you know, oh, you know, I could make that. I have ideas in my head. And then dubstep came along like Skrillex and stuff like that. All of my mates loved the Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites EP. Oh, that's such a... <laughs> dude, you know that EP just turned oh, like yeah. eight years old or something, right? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, I hated it. Oh, I, what? I absolutely hated it. <laughs> We need to end this interview right <laughs> now, man. What, what is going on? How, well, how no, did, like, why did you like it? I, I like it now, right? Yeah. But Hardstyle I listened to was very, like, melodic. It was very based on, like, melody, harmony, and, like, 
songwriting and stuff like that. And so to come along to something and just hear this wow, 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 it threw me off. Absolutely hated it. I remember people just saying, oh, you know, it's going to be the new new big thing. And I mean, it was for a few years, but yeah, I, I didn't like it. But I thought to myself, you know, I'll keep looking around and I'll see if I can find something a bit more like melodic, right? Um, and I ended up uh, finding Seven Lions. Ooh, oh, yeah. Here and, we oh, go. Yeah. And then I was hooked. You know, I, you know, it, 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 he kind of mixed the hard stuff with the melodic stuff. He had like all the, you know, growls and things, but he had those really big and like textured chords and those melodies and stuff and the songwriting, which really appealed to me much like how the hard style did. And so I just stuck myself to melodic dubstep for a while. And then, you know, over time, progressively, the stuff got a bit harder and harder and harder. The cinematic type stuff, though, probably a pretty recent thing or cinematic music it exploits expression and like emotion and a lot of the stuff that i was looking for within the melodic dubstep the hard style the future bass all that kind of stuff was that bit of like storytelling and like emotion that the cinematic type of stuff had just studying music you kind of learn that music has a lot more impact in like a film than the film would if it didn't have the music if you watch Big Bang Theory without the laugh track, it's not as funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's like that. You know, I always went to movies and there was like tracks appealed to me that much, but there was so many things that I just heard that was like, I could add that. That would be really cool. The thing that really got me started was there was a remix comp for Symphony by Clean Bandit. Oh, that's a great song, oh, nice. dude. And so I ended up remixing that. But I just got my hands on a solo cello, like, library. And so, yeah, ever since then, like, because I, I used that solo cello a heap in that track. Ever since making that remix, I've just been hooked. Because there was something about the cinematic drums and all that stuff. And then transitioning transitioning it into a, you know, a bit heavier, but just as contextualized drop that really, like, appealed to me. And so I kept doing it. Dude, first of all, Symphony is such a great song. Alec, you know that song by Clean Bandit? Of course I Symphony. do. Symphony! Yeah, yeah, great, and, great track, man. Well, the stems, so, the stems. Okay, see, you would not be on his vocals. No, 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 God, no. I'm and an so, awful singer. So the thing that, like, appealed to me was the, the stems were... So, of course, there was, like, the, you know, the, the poppy, like, poppy um, EDM-y type stuff. But then there was all this, like, mm-hmm. symphonic orchestra layers and things. And which you can you can hear in there, but it's spread throughout most of the track and so i just wanted to emphasize that and bring that out a heap more got me like hooked onto it and i've been making stuff like that ever since we talked a bit about this before earlier on you kind of touched upon i did kind of trends in in, in the music scene right mm-hmm. so um a big th- a big thing that we like to ask people who come onto the show are is you know what are some trends that you see in the edm scene specifically that you are excited about and that you've identified and um, what are some maybe that you're not so excited about um seeing with the accessibility of a lot of electronic music becomes a lot easier to particularly with like cymatics and rocket power sound and stuff like that they make a lot of like preset files and stuff for like synths and things specific sound characteristics of specific artists becomes very like diluted yeah yeah. Because every, like, everybody's like using that specific sound, right? 1788L, for example. He mm-hmm. was probably one of the, you know, there was Rez and stuff, but he was probably one of the main guys that really made the like mid-tempo, like hard, heavy hitting, like noise-based, like 
um, mid-tempo stuff made he made that really, really popular. Once that happened, you just saw everyone jump on that bandwagon. Me, personally, I would like to see something that is really complex. So it's like hard for people to... It, it's kind of, kind of disconnect. It's like the... If you take um, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, kind of like Era. You know, there was always those artists who were amazing at sound design and then no one could really keep up so there was always like a disconnect there was always those people who were at the top who were real like really good producers and then there was people like that were under it that were were good but you know they wanted to sound like those big guns like it basically felt like everybody was trying to emulate skrillex's sound or like a 1788l sound but like they weren't they were just merely copying the sounds that he was using yeah and not not putting in enough time to fine tune and to you know really think about the music critically yeah. to add enough layers to really make it stand out yeah. like a skrillex like a res or like a 1788 yeah. l right you said it better than me yeah that no no dude, dude you you, ha- you had the <laughs> no, thought you right did. there man you um, had the thought right there no, that's uh that's a, that's a really really good point uh, so is it fair to surmise here that um you know your your big concern here is that with the accessibility of all these vsts right all these patches for vsts yep. virtual synths a sound that had become popular might one day become diluted by everybody having access to that one particular sound and not putting enough care into making it unique or having making it have its own flair well yeah let's say when flume was you know becoming really really popular even like after it was really really popular um right people started coming out with like future base packs and things and then you know people who don't know sound design just took a future base pack took a midi pack put them together and like had a future base track by everyone doing the same thing it almost feels like it lessens the worth or the value of what let's say flume like made he's mm-hmm. he's really interesting in the sense of like you know all the really big artists who are being like copied they always move. They always keep like trying to stay away from that following bandwagon. Skrillex has gone and done his own thing. Flume's gone and done his own thing. You know, everyone's gone and done their own things, but you know, people are always following. Man, that's that's something I actually never even thought about, Alec. I think that's such a good point. Like, you know, I, I sometimes forget that there's like mm. a whole market for these patches for these. Yeah. Virtual synths and uh, virtual machines, it's its definitely a valid concern where a sound might just get diluted by everybody doing it. Actually, it's so interesting that you bring that up because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- this, uh, you know, Alec and I just recorded uh, this week's episode earlier today. And then we, I also talked about this last week with him. But that's my concern for Bass House, yeah, uh, yeah. that everybody seems to be doing a lot of Bass House these days. And I think that it's starting to become a little bit of an overly saturated market where, Sometimes it could be a little bit hard to discern, like, okay, whose whose signature sound is this? You know what I mean? So that's a concern that you have. Let let's flip it around a little bit. Let's get a little plur here, right? Peace, love, unity, respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there anything on the flip side that you're particularly excited about about the EDM scene? Um, I mean, in in well, no, <laughs> no, I had, to, I had to think about that for a second. Like, totally. In 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 in, <laughs> in general, like, I don't really follow it too much. But like in Melbourne, for example, the bass scene is utter trash. um we have a events management group called bbe and they run Mm. like events and like there's nothing against them because you know it's business but like they'll bring artists around australia right and they'll go to every like state and they'll skip melbourne and so there was like nightmare um black tiger sex machine um because the scene in melbourne isn't big enough you know you 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 get like a huge artist and you get like 200 people to rock up to a show max hmm, okay we had virtual riot once in melbourne and we had about close to 300 but everywhere else i'm like we you know we were in a 1600 people like venue and oh, every, yeah. and everyone else sold out 
you know so of course going to melbourne isn't really worth the money we we're like trying to build this like base scene up a little bit and it, it's it's coming there i'm excited to see what happens but you know it's it's slow you know are you part of that scene are you out there playing shows because i think i think you mentioned and I, if i recall correctly from seeing some posts on your instagram and your socials you are playing some shows so are you part of that scene that's kind of rising up there in melbourne for bass music yeah um it's it's still it's still slow there's only really two different kinds of events that that are consistent within the Melbourne bass scene. And the one thing that makes it really good at the moment is the one thing that really st- sticks it out from other places because I've been interstate to those shows it's like and everyone's there like a normal nightclub like comparatively whereas in Melbourne like everyone knows everyone. Everyone's oh, friends like with everyone. Uh and so yeah. you know it, there's not as many people but the connection between everyone is like on point. You know, everyone's supportive of everyone. Everyone can be as expressive as they want. Everyone can be who they want. It's really, really special. Have you, uh, just like on a side note, but mm-hmm. have you traveled like out here to the US uh, to experience the bass music scene here? Because it's it's fucking huge, man. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm aware it's huge, but um, I've only only been a couple times and I was never old enough to go oh man yeah oh dude we, we got to get you out here man we, we are wanna... here to to come experience it yeah. like play shows definitely but like just to come experience it man yeah i need to need to come down and like give it a look see a few shows stuff like that it'd be really definitely cool definitely play shows not not just experience it man we need them to be playing yeah. with it yes honestly. yeah, yeah. So it's a net it's a must it's an absolute must because you know we we've talked about bass house too but to be honest you know that the bass scene also in the u.s does tend to sometimes there seems to be trends in the US when it comes to music where people will all pile in very intensely on a, on a specific sound, yep. as you were talking about, right? Yep. And kind of it gets overdone, right? Yeah. And so I think having an artist like you come over, you would immediately pick up people's attention because they'd be like, wow, this has got elements of things that I like, but it's got a bunch of different stuff that I would never thought could be, you know, played on a stage or just in a in a track. So... You know, I definitely think, you know, sorry to hop in here, man, but I'm very no, no, passionate about getting out here to play. <laughs> well, <laughs> well absolutely just absolutely it. have to. Well, if I can get a visa to go over there and play, I'll, I'll be there in a oh, heartbeat. God, Trump, yeah. that's right. He is, he well, no, is it's a, the bane of the scene. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a hard thing. So let's say, you know, the artist Chibs from Disciple? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when he first, he's Australian, he's from New South Wales. When he first signed to Disciple, he couldn't get his visa. So he had to do a European tour. It's okay. what I've heard on the grapevine, at least. And so oh, wow. basically what happens with the US visa is just from talking to people who are all applying for it at the same time, you need to have like traction everywhere else first before oh, the wow. US will like even consider thinking about taking you to the US. There's an artist that I know called Rich Delinquent. He had been trying for a while. He did a US, he did, not a US, he did an Australian tour, a New Zealand tour. I think he was going to do a couple of Asian shows. Um, just to show that he had like, you know, a following within these areas. But, you know, if America doesn't see it as a way to make money, they're not going to be too keen on, you know, people rocking up. That That is really interesting. I, didn't, I did not know there was like, a, it was such an issue, man. It's it's hard. It's really hard. We, we're really rooting for you, man. Like, we really hope, you know, there's a day that comes where, you know, you're touring asia and europe and all these different places and you know what then america's not gonna have any cho- any choice but to recognize <laughs> scribe himself to get the man out here to play some shows man but 
you know, let's talk about the significant milestones in your career so far. Like, you've been interested in music since, I believe you said, at the age of 13, right? Here you are, 24, Mm -hmm. 11 years later, Mm -hmm. uh, producing some absolutely beautiful tunes. But tell me, like, what what were some of the milestones in your career that took to get here that helped you stay motivated in your journey as Scribe? I started working as Scribe in May of 2017. With milestones, there are things that like kind of make you go, yes, this is getting closer. I guess the first thing, which was before I made Scribe, um, I used to go as an artist called A New Vision. And I did a remix for Jasmine Thompson's track, Adore. You know, I was just minding my own business, writing tracks, and I wasn't really marketing them or anything. And I just put it up on SoundCloud. And, you know, it got up to about 70k streams on SoundCloud. Oh, nice, dude. And I freaked out. I was like, holy shit, what is this? I've got to like keep making (laughs) tunes and keep putting stuff up. Yeah. It was one of those things where like this big thing happens. So now I have to like, I have to keep going. (laughs) You know, it's, it's once it, once the snowball starts rolling, if if it stops, it's hard to push it again. It's like pushing a car, you know, you start pushing the car. Once it starts moving, it's easy, but getting it to move is the hardest part. And then um, there was a company in Australia with the same name that distributes film. And so they basically said, hey, stop what you're doing because you've got the same name as us. With this knowledge that I was able to get something like that, you know, 70K streams or whatever, I um, decided to completely change my name and like start with something super, super refined and super like official and like good looking and like good brand, good sound, like all that stuff. And that's when I started the Scribe stuff. That was when like film and stuff started getting really interesting to me. And so it was just a lot of like quality over quantity. I guess I was just lucky a lot of the time, which sounds like a bit of a cop-out answer. So like, it was just like little little things. So, you know, I started off with my remix for like Symphony by Clean Bandit. That was reposted by Cymatics and I was like, ooh, nice. Ooh, that's going to be cool. And then it, yeah. it was just little things. It was just <laughs> just little things like that that just, you know, it's like that little hit of dopamine that's making you like, oh, I need that again. I need to keep doing that. You started as, as a different name, you know, and then yeah. you received some some notification that you got to stop distributing music as that previous name. And now yeah. here you are a scribe. But a scribe, how, yeah. how did like how did you get to scribe? Like, how, how did that come about that specific name scribe? So the actual definition of a scribe was someone who wrote before print was a thing. So I just took that because I like the point of my music is like the writing of the music as opposed to the production or the sound design uh-huh. or something like that. So the idea of it was like uh, I'm, ro- I'm. I fucking love that, man. That is awesome. That's awesome. What a great <laughs> way to come up with a name. Point of it, Shit, point of it that was. was so I really never thought. I'm like a writer at heart, so of course I'm going to like write stuff more. Like I'm going to base it off like the story and like the actual writing of a piece of music. Yeah. As opposed to you know going for a specific like sound or like banger or something like that. I really wanted to like write. Mm-hmm. I really wanted it to be something like that was thought about with the writing as opposed to thought about with how the like crowd is going to react um and so i, mm. I you know i started off with melbourne bounce so that's probably a bit of irony there but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah um that was really appealing but i didn't have the mask at the start either i was just me, oh, I wow, was okay. just me. and i remember someone going who's running like nightclubs and stuff you know, he went you need something that identifies you and I was just scrolling through my phone, like mm. looking at photos, of, like ideas. I'd done this shoot in that mask for a mate before and he stopped me and was like, what's mm. that? And I was like, oh, you know, just a shoot that I did for a mate for like an artistic project. And he was like, do that. I was <laughs> like, yeah, okay. And I went from there. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's stuck, which was good. Yeah. And so that started like that. And then I, you know, started writing for about a year. I got 
an official remix for an artist called Brinny. He was a um, Melbourne Bounce guy. Um, did an official remix for him. Um, and that was like an official remix. That means people are like, you know, interested in my stuff in one way or another. I ended up, you know, I had all these tracks, but then I had like my first big, like original, um, I'm Your Reckoning with, uh, Rachel Nisbet. Okay. Um, yeah. and that got 56,000 streams or whatever on SoundCloud, yeah, which, you know, blew me away. And that, that track took me three months to make. And it's a, it's a pretty simple, wow. it's a pretty simple track. Um, but it took me most of the time was trying to find like the lyrics, like the right lyrics and then finding the right singer. Once that all came together, it, it, it is what it is now. But it was one of those things where I ended up realizing that I need to put that time in to, you know, really make the best track that I can instead of just like churning stuff out. Stuff went well. I got a, um, official remix for Quicks for his track Stronger. Hell yeah. Which is, yeah, which is, first oh, yeah. of all, a dope remix uh, and a dope original. So, really, really stoked on that. It's m- not so much the reaction of other people. Just, like, it's it's all hitting me now. It all makes sense. It's not it's not so much the reaction of the other people or what the other people think. It's more that I'm seeing myself improve exponentially. And that's what's really appealing to me. Because, of course, I'm writing the music for myself, first off. Right. I'm seeing myself do better and I'm seeing myself improve and that's like, whoa. I mean, I guess it's hard to take a step back sometimes and just see the, the, the growth that that you've done. And, um, you know, personally, I, I mean, from a personal perspective, I think it's difficult to sometimes just appreciate that and take a step back. Yeah. You know, but just talking, just, you know, just hearing the way that you've just been talking about your progression, it seems like you've grown an awful lot actually in quite a small period of time you know so the, the fact that just just because because mate honestly i love every single one of your songs and you can really hear the the effort that goes into each individual one so when you say Absolutely. you know it takes three months or so to write one one song and you have to find the right vocalist i can you you can really hear that in the song right like i think there are some artists i'm sure you will probably agree when they come out with a song you can kind of hear that maybe they just put it out there to keep their name relevant right but yeah, it wasn't necessarily content just kind of a, thing, yeah. yeah and yeah. it, it kind of diminishes the value of the artistry behind music i feel like sometimes when that comes out when those type of songs come out i mean case in point here it's me. you're gonna chuckle when i bring up this example uh do, do you know where i'm going with this can you predict uh, it? i have a it's feeling weird. i know where you're gonna go with this but go ahead so, so um i don't i don't want to say hate hate is a strong word but strongly dislike a duo that go by the name of dimitri vegas and oh, Mike. why <laughs> you gotta go there dude come on <laughs> what do you mean why do i have to go there because what was that i love dimitri vegas and like mike what are you oh, saying oh yeah yeah shut it he hates him <laughs> he went on a rant for like 10 minutes on one of the episodes about dimitri yeah, vegas and like true. mike I did. i'm an awful person uh, i've heard of them i can't say i've listened to their music don't Good. Don't just don't. Good. Just Save yourself. Mammoth and you're good. I mean, song, I mean, if we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about talk. that. Have you um have you heard of uh have you heard Borgor's new album? No, <laughs> I, I haven't. I have not actually. listened to it. No. Okay. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I am not uh, a big fan of Borgor, man. I like some of his old, earlier stuff, but yeah, his yeah, earlier I, stuff I, was good. Um, just yeah, because just, you know, yeah, no, no one. He's a funny guy, though. Yeah, no one was really. He is a funny guy. No one was really educated in the the genre. So, of course, you know, in 2013 right. or whatever, any wub that sounds remotely like a wub is going to be absolutely thick, you know? Um, right. Mm. But now there's such a, like, particularly with dubstep, there's a huge, huge production standard. So, so, so yeah. tell us about that, man. Like, tell us about your thoughts on that production standard. What, what does that mean to you? If you think about, like, the timeline of all the music that's been, like, dub, dubstep particularly, we'll, we'll, just, we'll keep on the 
the theme of dubstep. Whenever Scary Monsters and Night Sprites came out, you know, lots of people started doing it and trying to, like, become the next Skrillex. Because the sound was so new and people were so... Um, were only being introduced to this kind of thing, you know, there was all these, you know, weird sounds and stuff that were just, like, appealing to everybody. You know, mixing and mastering and stuff wasn't nearly as important. Songwriting wasn't nearly as important. It was just, you know, if these wubs sound cool, this track is going to be cool. And, Mm. you know, that was a really, really good way to start because it really introduced people to a new, like, form of electronic music. But then as we Mm -hmm. went to about 2015... 2016 maybe 2017 something like that mm-hmm. you could tell that the production standard of a lot of the bro step type stuff was becoming really 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 pristine the mixing and mastering was really strong the songwriting was looked at a lot more the call and response for specific sounds was a lot more intricate detailed and just it flowed a lot better it's the one thing that i really liked about dubstep particularly just how it sounded really clean but it still sounded really dirty. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. say that all the time. And yeah, can, yeah, I know what you mean. And man. you can take like the best artists of those genres now and, you know, it's still really, really high production standard, really heavy sound design. And it's something that's really appealing about that genre, about the electronic music at the moment, just the production standard that people have. I think it's really great that you've brought that up because I think it's something that a lot of your average you know electronic music listeners and festival goers may not think about right like they may not appreciate the the production quality and standard that goes into it until they get a little bit deeper into the scene you know so i mean that's partially also a reason why we wanted to do this podcast and talk to people like you because we know that you you illuminate kind of I, i think there's this false perception that people generally have of electronic music producers and especially when they get up to dj that they just kind of push buttons and things are just random sounds that come from a computer you know and uh, you know i i think it's easy to think that because it's something that they don't really understand right they can't really see or or visualize it's just someone up there you know on their cdjs or they just see some bedroom producer at home on ableton on their laptop they don't really see it's not the same as if you are in an orchestra and they can physically see you put it together you know all the bits of music so i really get your point with that man but Sort of continuing that point, like who would you say right now is somebody that you really admire? Um, and it can be any type of electronic music, but who in the EDM scene do you admire for their production standard and their quality? Just before I go into that, it kind of makes you, like with the early dubstep, it kind of makes you understand why, just thinking about it like that, kind of makes you understand why people always went, oh, it's just noise, I don't like it. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right actually because yeah, you know yeah. of course you know there's a lot of stuff that you know it's still heavy sound design but it's all like produced so well you know there are people who are listening to yeah. you know rock and stuff like that which has been you know made for years and so of course there's going to be a production like a high production standard for that um yep. and so they're all used to that and being introduced to something that's not a lower quality, but you know what I mean. Yeah, something that's just not as know. refined or, you know, kind of gone through the process of being more fine-tuned over the years. I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Artists that I really like in the sense of production standard. Virtual Riot's just a great example. His stuff flows really well. His stuff is mixed and mastered really well. He also studied music, I think music composition. Um, so he has a lot of that, like, those, like, ideas in his head. He knows, like, how stuff flows. And he'll he's one of those guys that'll also just sit there until it works it's um i've watched a couple of his like live streams and stuff and seeing how he produces his nuts this this is kind of a suiting question that goes off right off the back of that but if there's if there's a dj you know 
present or past, or sorry, I should say producer too, yeah. that you could go back to back with in a set, who would that be? Or if there's a couple of people, it could be, you know, they could be in the past or who are currently, um, you know, alive and touring. Probably someone like Elenium. Nice. Uh, Hell yeah. Nice, Just dude. there's, I've seen him in Melbourne once. The way he did his set was like the way I want to do my sets. He, he only did a DJ set. Um, at that at that point, he wasn't like he mm-hmm. he did have the live stuff, but he wasn't doing it there. His stuff kind of had that really high energy, that really high emotion, uh, and like heavy stuff and soft stuff was like picked at like the perfect times. You know, yeah. it was he knew his music through and through, and that made it really good for like just the general flow of the whole mix, the general emotion of the whole mix. That's how I felt about your set too, uh, that you just did for uh for our Beyond yep. the Beat sessions here, man. I felt I felt the same exact way. Thank you. Um. But, you got to give yourself some credit on that, man. I think you guys would be perfect. But yeah, I, you know, you know, he, like people like him and like Seven Lions and stuff, they're all like big kind of like inspirations in that sense. Because I mean, they were, I mean, Seven Lions particularly was like my biggest inspiration when I first started. People like that, they kind of, they DJ a lot, but like they, the way they DJ is kind of like, it just, it, it keeps the energy up. It keeps the energy going, but they can just like change the emotion. Like if there was any advice that you had to give to any aspiring, you know, producer, right? People who are grinding in their, in their bedrooms, people who we haven't, you know, on this podcast really heard of quite yet. What would some of that advice be? What would you, what would you tell them if they're listening right now? For me, I realized that everything was more fun, more enjoyable, more rewarding when I wrote entirely within what I wanted. I'm almost certain that, you know, my particular style and the stuff that I do was what, you know, intrigued you guys. Um, if I wrote mm-hmm. if I wrote just to a general audience, I probably wouldn't have been seen. Well, that's what got my attention. It totally got my oh, yeah. attention, man. In what I'm writing for myself, I'm enjoying it a lot more, a lot happier with what I'm doing. I'm having a lot more fun growing into my own sound, um, which I think is really important, especially in this heavily saturated like industry. If you write for yourself, you literally bring your identity onto the DAW. You can kind of tell when someone's writing for themselves versus when someone's just writing for clout. You'll be happier writing for yourself and that's... What happened with me? Now I spend, you know, eight hours a day plus like writing music because I love it. Like, you know, if people are listening and they like want a cheeky collab, send me something and if I like it, I'll, hey, I'll do it. Because there we go. There hell we yeah. Because it's, it's, it's all in the music. Mitch, thank you so much, man, for taking time out of the middle of your day to, no, right. to talk to us. You know, I mean, we've been super... Oh, actually, there's one thing I also forgot to say. My girlfriend would kill me if I didn't say this, but yeah. she absolutely is obsessed with your remix for Crywolf, by the way. So hey. I know I DM'd you about that, but <laughs> she is absolutely obsessed with that and nice. so she just wanted me to thank you live on air for it so vicky there you go you don't have to kill me now if there's anything that we can do or our community of listeners can do to help you please let us know because we've got to you know we we're just want, we're just glad that we're able to talk to you now before you eventually and inevitably blow up so thank you man thank you um well um Firstly, uh, if we ever hang out, beers on me. Ah, oh, dude. <laughs> not not sure how long it'll be, but you know, we'll 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 get there. <laughs> dude, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out of your day to come speak to us here on Beyond the Beats, man. We, we we seriously, genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. And listeners, 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 guys, Ray fam, if you guys enjoyed what you heard on this week's episode 
of Beyond the Beats on this Beyond the Beats session. You can easily find the mix in the show notes. We'll have a link to it on this for into SoundCloud, but also we'll have plenty of links to all of Scribe's socials and his SoundCloud in our show notes as well. You cannot miss it. You guys need to connect with him because he is going to blow up. You heard it here. Thank you guys so much. Peace.